Uh, but you know, there are things in life that we have no problem losing. Uh, you know, children will lose their, their baby teeth as they grow up, and, and that makes way for, the, for adult teeth. And, you know, we, we lose a feeling of emotional pain and physical pain after an accident. These are things that we have no problem losing. And there are some things that are inconvenience. Uh, when we lose them, right? A common phrase in my uh, household is, where's my cell phone? Uh, because it seems to be misplaced often. And, and driving through uh, Columbia for the first, you know, a uh, few weeks uh, as we moved here, you know, recently, we can lose our sense of direction, especially when you're going around that, that center square in the middle of town. You know, we, we lose our sense of direction. And there are also things that we try not to lose. Uh, those include our youthfulness. Uh, we try not to lose time and investments and friendships and especially our salvation. Those are things that we don't want to lose. But have you ever been guilty of losing your child? Now, again, we looked at these verses last Sunday morning, and so maybe they're familiar with you. But there was a, a family in 2015. I remember this report uh, on the news one day of, of a family who was vacationing at the French Riviera. And they had stopped at a rest stop, and um, they went back on their way, and they got 90 miles down the road before realizing that they had left their three-year-old child at the rest stop. And it wasn't because they had realized that they left their child there. It wasn't because the children in the back of the car said something and spoke up. But it was because of an announcement that came over the French radio that someone's child was left at this rest stop. And so they realized that, uh, that they had left their child behind, and they drove the 90 miles back to the rest stop. And during my time in preaching school, I've heard many, many, many stories of how preachers will will go to the building, maybe they'll drive separately from their spouses, and at some point, they'll leave their children at the building. They'll say, you know, I thought you had them, and the wife will say, no, I thought you had them, but there's many times that has happened. Or have you ever heard your name over the loudspeakers at a department store? You know, how embarrassing is that when you lost your way from your parents and you hear your name over the loudspeakers? But again, in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, Mary and Joseph have lost Jesus. Let's read this account and let's get familiar with it again as we go through this. Again, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So as we, as we start this account here this evening, we notice that Mary and Joseph and a young Jesus are traveling to Jerusalem for the, the feast of the Passover. And again, Luke is the only inspired writer to give us an account of Jesus as a young boy. Jesus as a 12-year-old boy, we get a glimpse into his life. And they're going up to Jerusalem, as was their custom. Every year they would do this. Now, the Passover was held on the 14th day of, of, the, of the month of Nisan uh, on the Jewish calendar. That would be somewhere in late March for us. We'd understand that, that. And they were going to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And again, this was to commemorate, and we sort of talked about this this morning, to commemorate the death angel of that 10th plague. Remember that 10th plague that, that was sent on the Egyptians where, where the, this angel went over in Egypt and destroyed the firstborn male sons of all the Egyptians, but they passed over the sons, uh, uh, the, the Israelite children. And this was an annual celebration, again, consisting of a, of a Passover lamb and unleavened bread. And we're told that the size of the city of Jerusalem would grow, expand to three to four times as normal when everyone was coming there to celebrate this occasion. But we read here that as they were traveling home, after walking a day's journey, which would have been somewhere between 20 and 30 miles from Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary realized that Jesus was no longer with them. They had lost Jesus. And of course, when we think of travel, you know, they weren't traveling in vehicles. They didn't have GPSs, but this was a hard travel. They would have been walking. They would have been walking in groups, families, caravans, in a sizable group. Remember, Jesus, we're told about Jesus that he had four brothers and at least two sisters. And if Jesus was around the age of 12 at this time, there's no doubt that he probably had some siblings. And so his parents' hands were full. We, we can understand that. And it was logical that they thought Jesus was just among his relatives, that he was somewhere within the caravan in the group. But realizing that he's not there, Joseph and Mary returned to Jerusalem three days later, found him in the temple listening and asking questions to the teachers. What a relief. What a relief. Jesus, who was lost, had been found. But here's the question we want to ask ourselves this evening. If Mary and Joseph can lose Jesus, can we also lose Jesus? Let's contemplate that question. Am I guilty of losing Jesus in this life? I want us to notice a couple of points as we read uh, as we or continue to talk about the, these uh, points here. And again, let's look at verses 41 through 43. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he had, was 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. You notice that it says that his parents were unaware that they lost him. You know, it's, again, it's easy to look at, at Mary and Joseph and become critical of losing their child, right? How could you lose your child? How could you lose the Son of God? How could you misplace him? But it can happen to us as well. See, most people who lose Jesus do so with ever realizing that, that they've lost him. And we can see it in, the, in a reflection in their attendance. We can see it in a reflection of their, their lack of service. 
We see it in their lack of Bible knowledge, their lack of evangelism, their lack of zeal for the church. And it's hard to fix something, right, when they know, they're not aware of the problem, right? We have this mentality that if, it's ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's hard for people to change when, when they get relaxed in their relationship with Jesus. I want to turn to an account in, in, in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and look at this account of this king, the, this great king of Judah by the name of Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. And we won't read all of these verses, but we want to notice that he is one of the more favorable leaders in the, the kingdom. Uh, he had a 52-year reign. Look at verse 1. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And verse 4 says, He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. You know, a lot of the times when we read about the, the kings, the great kings of Israel and the great kings of Judah during the divided kingdom, there was a lot of wicked kings. And here's a breath of fresh air. This king Uzziah, who we're told in verse 4 and verse 5, that he did right in the sight of the Lord. That he was constantly seeking the, the Lord. He, if we were to continue reading in this account, verses 6 through 15, we would notice that he fortified the nation. That he rebuilt their infrastructure. That he was investing in farming. I like verse 10, it says, for he loved the soil. This king, he, he enjoyed farming. He was an expert military strategist, and God assisted him, and his fame extended beyond the borders of Israel. Scholars actually say that Uzziah's administration was the highest point of history in the kingdom of Judah since the days of Solomon. Uh, you know, Solomon was a great king, a wealthy king, and Uzziah somewhat compared to it. He, he didn't touch uh, Solomon's great wealth, but he somewhat compared to it. But then we get to verse 16. Verse 16, uh, the hinge verse in this chapter, uh, it reads this. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. This king who was serving faithfully uh, his Lord for over 50 years and he goes in and attempts to uh, light the incense, a thing that only the Levitical priesthood had, had authority to do. And Uzziah is enraged. He refuses to back down. And God, we're told, struck him with leprosy. And he remained a leper until the day of his death. And he lived a life cut off from the house of the Lord. And as we, uh, as we conclude this, this story, this account of this great king, who had a 50-plus year relationship with God, a great relationship, extremely blessed. He was blessed in all he did, but at some point, Uzziah became comfortable. He became comfortable in this relationship, and God, and, and he was unaware that, that he had left God's good graces, that he left his favor. 
And again, we too can fall into that state of apathy in our relationship with the Lord. When we're traveling down life's highway, uh, we can can become unaware that we have lost Jesus. And it's likely that we're not paying attention to him anymore. That we're no longer uh, studying the scriptures or or studying them daily as, as we read in Acts 17. I wonder if this is one of the reasons why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, he said about the Christian that we need to examine ourselves or test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Paul says examine yourselves. Make sure that you're not unaware that you have lost Jesus. Hebrews 5 verse 13 and 14 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. If we're continuing to live life uh, on the milk of the word and, and not getting the meat, not understanding uh, really the will of the God, not maturing in our faith, the, the Hebrews writer says, because of practice, uh, if we practice, we can have our senses trained to discern both good and evil. But there are individuals who become unaware that they lose Jesus uh, in their lives and as they are going throughout the, their walks as Christians. Let, let's also notice another thing here in verse 44 in Luke chapter 2. They assumed that he'd always be there. Look at verse 44, right there at the beginning, it says, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And again, there are individuals that assume that Jesus will always be there. Mary and Joseph assumed Jesus would be in their midst, and we too can be guilty of believing this. Too many people assume in this this life, uh, just because they entered in a relationship with Jesus at some point in their lives, that they can never lose Jesus, regardless of how they choose to live. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul here is, is writing again to, to the Ephesian church. And notice what he says starting in verse 1. He, he's talking about the Gentiles and where they were. And notice all the past tense verbs he, he speaks of. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of that wrath, even as the rest. And then if you're there, skip down to verse 11 and 12, because Paul is going to tell them, remember, remember where you were. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. See, our, our relationship with Jesus must cause us to change. There must be a, a change in our lives. Second Corinthians chapter five or 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, This person is a new 
creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Our lives as Christians... uh, We need to not be conformed to this world, Paul says, but we need to be transformed. That's a continual process. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, we are told, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to let the word of God change us for the better. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews 4, 12, remember what he said over in that chapter? He said, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Christianity should change us, change us to be better in our lives. And this was the mindset of the disciples. All throughout Jesus' ministry, the the disciples are constantly on the physical, not on the spiritual side of things. In John chapter 13, starting in verse 33, as Jesus is there at at the Passover uh, dinner, and he's teaching his disciples. And listen to what he says here to, to them. He says in John 13, starting in verse 33, he says, Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews now, I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord... Why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a roaster will not crow until you deny me three times. We see Peter in this account assumes that Jesus will always be there. Why can I not follow you right now, Peter says. And then Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow. And Jesus is speaking of his death. And later, in a few more chapters, in John chapter 18, when they come to arrest Peter, or excuse me, Jesus, what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and he slices off the ear of the, the servant of the high priest. He's ready to fight for Jesus. Jesus has told him that he is going to go, that he has to go, that he must go. But Peter is not listening. Peter wants to save the Lord from from being arrested. And we know that Peter goes on in in those accounts and he denies the Lord three times. What does this all mean? Well, Christ, Christ is available to all. He's available to all. But if we're not willing to change for him, if we're not willing to live righteous and holy and pure lives, we would be wrong to assume that he will always be there. Martha, or excuse me, Mary and Joseph assumed that Jesus was there in the caravan. Peter assumed that Christ was always going to be there. And Peter, although he denies the Lord three times, he goes on to be a great pillar in the church. 
He, he's the proclaimer of the gospel in Acts chapter 2, that first gospel sermon. Again, he preaches the, the first sermon to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, he, comes, he becomes an elder in the church. He, he, he writes a couple of epistles. We must not assume that we can stay stagnant in our faith. We just can't do it. We, can, we can't assume that, that Christ will always be there no matter how we, need, or no matter how we live our lives. Peter needed to change, and he learned from those mistakes. I like what James says in James one twenty one. He says, therefore, putting all aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Get the, get the filthiness and get those things out of your life, the wickedness. In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So as we continue in Luke chapter 2, we notice, how can we lose Jesus? Well, some people, they, they become unaware. Some people assume that he will always be there. In verse 44, we also want to notice that they were distracted. They were distracted in this trip. You know, it didn't take Mary and Joseph uh, so long to realize that he was lost. It's like when you're raising a child, you know, maybe it's your first child and, you know, you're used to hearing so much noise and when it becomes silent for a while, something's up, isn't it? You know, they're into something. I won't name which child this is, but one of our children, there was a time where it became silent and we were probably distracted and we went into the bathroom and they were cutting their hair. Uh, children will, will, will do that. When we get distracted, they'll go and do things. Uh, and, of course, Mary and Joseph, they were distracted in, the, in these travels. And perhaps they, they were busy talking to relatives or whatever. But we can allow, people can allow circumstances and other people in our lives to distract us from our walk with God. We, we, we remember the parable of the sower. And one of those soils that the seed, the word of God, was slung on was a soil that was thorny. And if you remember this, that the thorns grew up with the seed and it choked out the plant. And we're told in Mark chapter 4 verse 19 that that represented the worries of this life. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Right? We get distracted. They consume our time and energy, these distractions, and our Christian walks. But we recall passages like Matthew 6, verse 33, that says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, and I can think in my own life, what are some distractions that I have? You know, these things, these smartphones, they're distractions in our lives. We can spend hours and hours on Facebook or on our favorite websites, and we can be distracted, you know, from what God wants us to. Are we spending as much time on Facebook as we are spending in the book? You know, I love sports, right? I grew up loving sports, playing sports, watching sports, everything about sports, and some individuals, uh, they're, they're so concerned about their children growing up and receiving uh, sports scholarships, academic scholarships. But ultimately, what do we want? We want our children to grow up and to go to heaven. The spiritual things need to come first in our lives. 
Look at Luke chapter 10, and this is the last place I'll have you turn. In Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, there are things in this life that are distractions, and they could be good distractions, but we can't let them overtake um, our devotion to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 38, we have the account of Martha and Mary. And it reads this, Now as they were traveling along, being Jesus and his disciples, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. See, again, we can allow good things, good, wholesome things in this life to distract us from our walk with Jesus. Sports, uh, Facebook, you know, just keeping up with our friends and family. And Martha wants to serve the Lord. She has a heart to serve. She wants to serve him. I'm doing this for you, she says. But Jesus says there's going to be plenty of opportunity for chores later, for, for those things later. Time with me, the son of God, is precious. See, Mary and Joseph, they were distracted. Martha was distracted. And again, we too many times get distracted and take our eyes off of Jesus. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We cannot allow distractions in our lives to, to uh, mess with our walk, our Christian walk. But here's the good news. If Jesus can be lost, logically that means that Jesus also can be found. And of course, that's what they did. They went back to Jerusalem and found him. And the reason people struggle, struggle to find Jesus is often because they're searching in the wrong places. Again, Jesus said, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And the world will search for Jesus in all the wrong places, not based on God's word, not based on God's truth or or how to correctly worship him. But rather, what programs can you offer me or I only want to hear feel-good messages from the pulpit. Or I need to be entertained in my worship. Jesus will be found when we start looking for him in the right places. Jeremiah 29, verse 13, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And of course, today, when we are to search for Jesus, to find Jesus, we can find him when we open the scriptures, when we open our Bibles and we get back into his word. Jesus is not hiding. He's not hiding. He's waiting to be found. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him, and and he will dine with him, and he with me. So the question we want to, again, ask ourselves this evening, are we guilty of losing Jesus? Are we guilty of losing him? See, if Jesus is missing from our lives, it's not his fault, but it's our fault. 
Because maybe we've gotten comfortable in our lives, comfortable in our walk, and we have become unaware, unaware that he's missing, that we no longer have God's favor upon us. Or maybe we assume that he will always be there. Again, no matter what type of life we live, that he'll always be there. Or that maybe you and I have just gotten too distracted in this life and we have lost him. But again, the good news is just as Jesus can be lost, Jesus can be found again. This evening, if you're here with us this evening and you're not a Christian, you have not had an opportunity to find Jesus in this life. We would love that opportunity to help you, to study with you, to set up a, a study and, and to see what the scriptures say about finding Jesus. That, that we hear the word of God, that we believe Jesus is the son of God through his word that as we study it together. That we repent of sin, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and the Lord at that point will add you to his church. Maybe this, this evening if you are a Christian, but maybe you, you've lost that, that connection. You've lost that zeal for, for following the Lord. And maybe you, want, you have to admit that you know, I've lost Jesus. I need to have him back in my life. Again, this is the opportunity to do this. Don't, don't take another opportunity or let it slip away, but come back to him now. As together we stand and sing this song of invitation.